and here we go. We are back. It is We Talk Comics on the air and in your ear. And that's right, 10th year anniversary, I suppose. I was just told this just recently. This is the 10-year anniversary of We Talk Comics. And yes, as I said, hey, yo, here we go. We are back on the air. Um, we're going to be around about once a month, I think. That should be the game plan, and unless there's some interviews that we throw in there and we have a little bit more on and uh, I'm there, one of your hosts. You used to know me as Mo, but now I go by Martin, but I don't really care. I know you call me all sorts of other filthy names that are even worse than that. So you get the other guys to introduce themselves, and they're going to do it by telling you their favorite episode of The Twilight Zone. From left to right, Brett, you go first. Oh, gee, my favorite episode of The Twilight Zone. Um, that's a that's a tough one. Uh, probably probably the one that uh, where there was nobody in the town. I forget the name. Monsters of Maple Street, or no, so, not that one. Walking Distance. Walking, walking di- yeah, walking, walking Distance. Walking Distance. Only know it because I was about to say Walking Distance. <laughs> <laughs> so Keith, what's well, your that's favorite? Keith. <laughs> Keith, your favorite? <laughs> I'm gonna say either Walking Distance or. Uh, uh, Maple Street actually is the very first Twilight Zone I ever saw. Uh, when I was a kid, I, I don't even remember them playing Twilight Zone. I just ran, I just happened to catch that episode sometime. That was the first thing I ever saw in Twilight Zone. Monsters come to Maple Street. Which is one All of right. the best, definitely. And I'm Chris, and unlike you guys, I prepared for this. And uh, my favorite episode of the Twilight Zone is episode 1961. A game of pool. Oh, a game of pool. That's a good one. That uh, what was his name? Was in that Jackie Gleason. Jackie Gleason and yeah, and uh, oh, who was the who was the guy he was playing against though? Oh, can't yeah, remember. I, was Jack Plugman? I think it was Jack Plugman. on into the hustler because I think it was Jack Plugman, was, wasn't it? Might have been Clug, Clug, I mean, Klugman is that the same one where he's like. Um, he wins everything because that was Clugman. Yeah. He wins everything and then discovers the yeah the twist ending. Sorry to spoil this sixty year old TV show. <laughs> sure, <laughs> careful. The twist, the twist ending is, is that he's not in heaven. Actually, he was playing Jonathan Winters. That's right. He played Jonathan Winters. That's right. Jonathan Winters and it was Jack Klugman. Now we're getting it. That's your favorite episode, the one where you got no details right. <laughs> hey, you didn't Classic. even have the episode number for yours. Oh, well, I don't have the episode number, but I'll say my favorite episode is The Invaders. Um, you get past the oh, bad yeah, special yeah. effects. It's it's, it's awesome. And, well, that's uh, a great episode, yeah. Yeah, that's a great one. I also like the He's Alive because Dennis Hopper was so good in it. Well, thanks for tuning in to We Talk Twilight Zone. And, uh, <laughs> hey, Twilight Zone has comics. Someday <laughs> maybe we'll talk about those. But that's not what we're talking about this time. This time we're going to go into a little bit of a deep dive on typhoid Mary. Is actually the topic of this this uh, episode. The typhoid uh, zone. About the care. Pardon me. The typhoid zone. The typhoid zone. That's a that's a good title for the show. Uh, the typhoid typhoid zone. <laughs> I like that. You totally throw me off with it. Uh, anyways, you're talking about typhoid Mary and doing so. We're probably going to talk quite a bit about. Uh, the wonderful writer Anne Nesenti. So uh, we open this up talking about her, the opening story arc, which uh, I think 
what was it? Uh, Daredevil 246 to 255 or something like that? What was it? 253, uh, I think. Yeah, something, something like that. It was the opening. It was like a nine-issue, and there was, I think, one issue that didn't have anything to do with it. That's nine right. Issue the, run. Yeah, the Fabian, <laughs> the Fabian issue that was, uh, that was really not worth reading. Full, full disclosure, I skipped that one. It's a, it's a good <laughs> call. I, I did read it, and, and hey. I tried. Big, big fan of Fabian, but, but let's be honest. I mean, those Marvel fill-in issues, when like, yeah, it's so really it's... hard when you're going through a run and you suddenly come across, like, it doesn't matter who the, who the writer is. Those are just like the you know the single scripts that they just pull out of the filing cabinet. It's uh, the classic, the classic inventory story. Yeah, and and it doesn't matter who they are; they're just never any good, and and they just <laughs> they just slide in there, and it's kind of like, ah, damn, I wish I hadn't read that, but I did. <laughs> thank yeah, thank I you, Marvel Unlimited. Well. Yeah. Keith, did you skip it? I did indeed. Yeah, good move, good move. I tried, like I said, I got about three uh, three pages in and went filler, moved on. I read, yeah, I read about three pages and then I texted I texted you guys and said, do I really have to read this one? Because <laughs> no. it's like the flyover issue. And, this is and I had, uh, had nothing to do with Typhoid Mary. No, well, well, I th- I think she may have like briefly appeared in it yeah. in the art, but but no no like real story. I mean, it was it was just like the Typhoid storyline. After the first story arc of Daredevil that wasn't written by Anne Nesenti, and it was just like, well, it wasn't a typhoid storyline. I mean, it was just like she was just kind of a goon character that was just suddenly there because she was part of Daredevil now. But, you know, there was nothing. I started reading that, and I was just like, oh, this isn't good at all. <laughs> I forget that. Maybe, maybe we should focus on the one we did read. Though. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, let's I focus just, on what we did read. I just wanted to give <laughs> a little bit of color. Keith, what did you think of the uh, introduction to the Typhoid character by Anne Descenti and John Romita Jr.? This is uh, well, this is a run I, I remember um, uh, quite fondly. Uh, it uh, uh, Romita was was one of those artists that was really like fresh and different at that time. Like he had done, he would have done uh, a few issues of X Men. Would have been the first thing I saw him on. Um, and, uh, and, and this stuff was so much like just raw and, um, and different than, you know, Daredevil have been for a little bit. Uh, and, uh, uh, it's an odd story reading now because there's like, uh, I mean, the womanizing of, uh, of Matt Murdock is hilarious. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, and then the. I mean, she's a difficult character to manage now in the same way that Moon Knight is, that um, it's a character built around um, a possibly non-existent mental illness. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so they're either making fun of, they're either perpetuating a stereotype or they're making fun of the mentally ill, or they're like making the mentally ill to be, uh, uh, you know, dangerous. Uh, so, I don't know where you go. You're it's, saying they don't ro- walk that tightrope every day. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, the the art is uh, the art's beautiful. The art's uh, what I remember most about this more than the. I, I'm not. As, I don't think I'm as much of a fan of the F- Andesani's writing as uh, as the as some of the rest of the pals here. But uh, uh, I I really love John Romita Jr. Well, this um, is interesting because yeah. it's. 
Oh, go ahead, Chris. Sorry. Uh, as far as the the art goes, I actually found it refreshing to go back and look at a proto, a, a pre John Romita Junior John Romita art because I mean he's developing here. Later, once he, once he gets to kick ass and he's like an established huge name in the industry, his art really devolves into a huge piles of spaghetti. <laughs> um, just lines all over the place. This I could actually see, see some. I think um, Mazzucchelli was on the previous run. I could actually see him lifting some elements. He was still recognizable as an artist, but I could see him lifting stuff from from the previous run, and he was still developing. And I I I found that refreshing. Well, it's I don't interesting like because now, so <laughs> we got that. Uh, it's interesting because it is. I mean, uh, you talk about Anna Cynthia. I mean, I think this was her first writing gig that she got, or first regular writing gig, anyways that that she had for Marvel. And uh, I think she'd been an assistant editor, kind of the yeah. the usual uh, way in for um, you know for new writers. Then was to be assistant editor and then get a writing gig if you're lucky enough and. And then either work for them or freelance afterwards, and uh, and I think that's this is her. I think this is kind of the first. This isn't the first person to take over from Frank Miller, but I think feel like she was the first person to get us some momentum again uh, to Daredevil. Um, and I think a lot of that is yeah. John Romita Jr. And well, she was and, the uh, first to to like take over full time after uh, full time. After yeah, Miller. I think there yeah. are only four four issues between the runs, and each a different person handled each one after. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it was the first one. So that's a pretty uh, that's a pretty difficult position to be put in, especially when you're a new writer. And this isn't the first times that she's had to follow uh, with one of her storylines. Follow, you know, what is a legendary arc. I mean, she also did the same thing with uh, Mad Dog Ward, following um, um, you know the death Cra- of Ra- uh, Craven's Craven. last hunt. Yeah, Craven's last hunt, and, and very difficult. So. Um, I think we're seeing her, her and John Romita Jr. I don't think that they're gelling quite at the beginning, but I felt they were at the end. Uh, did any of you go past this to arc to read a little bit more of her run? Uh, I finished off the entire Lone Stranger start, story arc. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's yeah. pretty interesting. Like her, you can see that she gets better and they start to really vibe as it goes on. I feel like that starts at this storyline, not so much at the beginning. But towards the end, definitely, and then you get into some of the different stuff. But she does this weird thing, and she did it with this, and she does it later on, where she starts a storyline and then just completely doesn't follow it up. And <laughs> well, I, that 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 is a problem, though. I mean, Karen Page, uh, by the end of the second, is completely uh, she. Oh, Matt's cheating on me. We never see her again. She just sort of <laughs> runs out of the screen crying. And there's another like 20 issues where we don't yeah. see her. <laughs> they eventually brought back uh, I can't remember who it was who who wrote it, but uh, one of the other writers that eventually brought back Typhoid to to wrap up the the, the storyline, like in like issue 297 or something like that. Like yeah, and those you know, are the ones that later. I was talking about, where where like it's just like later. like Typhoid is there, but but it it doesn't seem like an actual Typhoid story. Like, I don't know. It, was that DD DG Chichester, Chichester or something like that? Yeah. Chichester, something like Sounds that. Right. Who I think right. might have written those. Yeah. Something like that, and and that was the thing, right? Like, I mean, I just started them, 
and and once I really realized that that like I mean the thing was is that whatever you think of Anne Nascenti and and her writing and whatever you think of like the typhoid story arc and and admittedly like it is somewhat of a mess but I think you can tell the character is really personal to her and I think that like she was passionate about telling about trying to tell that story but the problem was is that I think that when you hit the the 297 or whatever like there was no passion about trying to tell that story it was just like we're just trying to wrap up a story arc that got started a long time ago and then we're going to move on you know and and so that was my feeling as I was reading it and it did not so it was just kind of like ugh I don't feel like reading this because you're actually ruining what I read before well, Anne Nascenti had some passions because, I mean, there are Lots. social justice things stuck in here where there there's no reason for them. Anything involving a kid. I mean, we have uh, the oh uh, the the child prostitution stuff, and then later on we we actually have some uh, uh, is meat ethical storylines just jammed into a daredevil that I found kind of like, what the hell is this doing? But that was so typical of her writing. Like in everything that she does, she works really hard to shoehorn the social justice issues in. And that, that would be right. Yeah. And, and I, and, and it's my problem to a degree because I feel like, I'm reading a superhero story with Typhoid Mary, and the next thing you know, it's just like, oh, by the way, here's the baseball bat with child slavery. <laughs> like, poof. Well, but that's the thing. I think I feel like it's, sure, I guess it's technically a, a superhero story, but it doesn't feel like a superhero story to me at all. I don't think of it that way. I, anytime I get to her writing, I feel like it's a surreal dream-like quality to it. Uh, it, and I and it's not taking place in the rest of the the rest of Daredevil's story arc, you know, or the rest of anybody's story arc. When she did the Spider Man, it, it felt like, you know, it's, it's just it almost feels like a dream that somebody had because that's the way she writes. I mean, it, it, she doesn't put everything together for you the way that especially Marvel writers back in that era did. Um, in some ways, uh, again, maybe it's a bit jarring to people, you know, but. Uh, but I, it depends on whether or not you can vibe to what she's kind of doing there. Like, can you, if you can, if you can kind of put yourself into her mindset and just go with it, then I, then I think you can enjoy it. If if you're looking for the more conventional superhero type stuff or anything like that, you're definitely not going to get it with Anne Nascenti and this this Typhoid Mary or any Typhoid Mary. I think for me, uh, the thing was is that. I was, it wasn't so much that I was expecting superhero, like I was expecting, expecting Typhoid, because I, because I had a vague recollection of the miniseries that we're going to talk about later on, but like, and so I just had this like, oh, this character's so super cool, and I guess my actual problem was her, not so much her writing of Typhoid, it was her writing of Matt Murdock Daredevil. Yeah, that's where it was odd. I, I think that's what changed for me on this go-round is that Matt, in today's day and age, is no longer the sympathetic character in the story. He's a real jerk for the entire thing. I don't remember thinking that the first time around, 20, 20 30 years ago, when I first read it. Yeah, I don't... They, they spend a lot of time talking about, like, 
you know, her biochemistry that fools him so he doesn't know it's the same person. But they don't spend a whole lot of time focusing on her biochemistry that, um, like, is kind of like a aphrodisiac, like a little Spanish mm-hmm. fly thing that she's yeah. got going on. Because, it, like, it really doesn't like, – I mean, that would take his choice out of the matter, and um, – but that's not the direction they go. But if, I mean, he, even if her power is controlling him, he should still feel guilty in the absences. Well, but I think he does. He just sort, sort of, of. I don't think he feels guilty. He just yes. sort of loses one. I should tell her, but I can't. It'll hurt her. Yes. Well, there's the after this arc. There's the storyline <laughs> where he's you know the Christmas storyline where he's just drinking a beer and ends up running into Mephisto in a bar. Um, yes, this is crazy way, as it sounds. I mean, it should never draw Mephisto. Uh, <laughs> I kind of get. Oh my God, I that. hated that. But it's like that's where he was really guilty. That's where he, you know, you got characterization. Once they got Typhoid out of the way, then it's like they had. She had time for characterization of Matt Murdock, and then she sends him on. You know, she sends him on the, a trip out of town because he needs to find himself, and then he's gone for like three issues. They start three different story arcs. Solve none of them, and then he's back <laughs> in the city. Like I say, it's the surreal, dreamlike, and Nascenti writing. It's 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 well written, but it's it's not uh, it's it's confusing at the same time. It was uh, it was interesting going back to when did this come out? Ninety, eighty eight, eighty eight, uh, and uh, at that time they still had the the leftover. Uh, shooter edict of uh, uh, every comic is it could be someone's first comic. So yeah. the number of times you have to read uh, like the shortest version of Matt Murdock's origin every issue, <laughs> like you, they have to shoehorn in some way, some way that he's like tells tells someone or thinks about. Oh, it's like that time when I when I like saved that guy, and then the radioactive ice stone blinded me and then stick drained me well and that was like really issue i mean them having them having the blind kid that the, the the crutch through through the whole like through so many of those issues like it was just oh i have to do something so that he doesn't turn out to be just a regular blind person i have to see if he has abilities too and i'm like no you don't you just have to make yeah, sure worry, he's they okay. Like, they never follow that up. Well, no, and, <laughs> I was about to say, it felt like it was going nowhere, and later I found out it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> and, but that, and that's, but you know, like, and for me, I guess going back and reading this for this, I think, I think this probably flows a bit better if you're if you're just reading Daredevil in a run, reading just this this chunk of Typhoid Mary, it's just like you suddenly see all these stray threads that are going everywhere and it's just like, oh, I don't like this thread. I don't like this thread. I don't really care for this thread. I only want the two main threads and and that's about it. And I want those to wrap up. <laughs> it really is that's... more Typhoid's book than Daredevil's book, you know, during this run. I think it's one of the, it's one of the things that's really changed a lot in comics because at this point you know, we barely had trade paperbacks, mm-hmm. uh, and so it was still a serialized medium, and so you had to explain his origin every issue. Um, but it also had like because it's a serial, it's essentially like a movie serial or like a soap opera where you've also got to be threading in stuff late for later and you yeah you don't come back to all of those um and also 
taking a rand like what is essentially a random ten issues out, um, like wasn't intended as like a ten issue story. Yeah. Uh, you have like you know things that they were setting up for six issues later, or if this this might work out later or whatever. Um, but yeah, like you've got these threaded B stories that um, don't always deliver when you read them in you know a chunk like this. Yeah, because I've, I'm always fascinated because I've always felt like I really would love to get back to reading comics on a monthly basis because I remember I remember in those early days I was so excited about you know, new comic day and, and like reading that next issue. But the thing is, is that when I try it now, it doesn't work because they're just setting up for that four issues or the six issues. So I just kind of feel like, Oh, well I might as well just wait until those four or six issues are done and I'll read the whole thing and I'll be done. But, and so I'm never going to be able to repeat that longing, that desire that I had in those days where it was just like, Oh, there's this storyline that they that they've got going. I need to know if that moves on or what have you. <laughs> yeah, that was an editor, so she would have been really aware that she had to set these things up for later. Yeah, clearly she didn't care. Nope. Well, well I, mean, I mean, sometimes you just can't. Like some, sometimes yeah. it just doesn't work out. Like you start a thread and then you know something else happens in the Marvel universe and you don't get to. Oh, pay in- it off. Inferno, anyone? I mean, that was the yeah. thing, right? Like this, like the the last issues were were all done during the whole Inferno thing. So I mean, there's this this entire like everything's getting set on fire, and yes, we have Mephisto, and and it's just like wow, if if it weren't burdened with Inferno, I wonder where this could have gone. Actually, that's yeah. Do you think the colorist just gave gave up on that story <laughs> and just painted sure everything like it. pink, or was there some thought trying to fi- figure this out and it just turned out looking like that? It it was just yeah, it was all pink and orange. Yeah, <laughs> like it was just it, it was a mess for sure. Um, yeah, oh, it is he, a shame that that's yeah. how how it kind of the story arc ends. But then again, like I say, I mean. It's left with a kind of a cliffhanger, so you're thinking Typhoid Mary will be back soon, and then she just isn't, even when Anne Nocenti is writing it. The, um, yeah, I mean, honestly, like, in fairness, I actually think the uh, the Typhoid's Kiss from Marvel Comics Presents was a much, you know, was probably a better storyline because at least it was the one with Wolverine. Yeah, at least it was more yeah. condensed. Like, and and it, it was. was the characterization there of typhoid, I think is a lot closer to what we see in the miniseries, you know, again, it's still a surreal dreamlike story, but it's, it's tighter as far as not setting up 50 storylines that you don't follow up. I mean, it's just, and what it was doing is it was setting, it was setting up the elements that we read in the Spider-Man. And of course, then the elements that carried on into them, into the miniseries. And, and I do think that she, that Anne Nascenti, as she was writing typhoid, she would just eventually just wound up having this like, oh, uh, I could do this with typhoid, and then and then you know actually just found a way. And I think typhoid's kiss was a great way to kind of you know establish that within the greater whole of the Marvel universe, and and especially within the Wolverine storyline. Yeah, no, I thought the chemistry between the Wolverine and the typhoid character was uh, really well done, um, more so than the chemistry between. Spider-Man and Typhoid. What did you guys kind of think of that 
Was it a two issue arc? It was just two issues, wasn't it? it was two issues. I, yeah. I, I didn't. I didn't care for that one, and I think it's the addition of the extra um, personality mm-hmm. that I did that I didn't care for. Like I thought it was kind of going back to the well too much. Well, Keith, did you read the Typhoid's Kiss? I did not. Okay. See, and I and I think that even the, even though like the Bloody Mary character isn't in Typhoid's Kiss, like I think if you read Typhoid's Kiss, you would probably see the the germ of an idea like that it's kind of like okay. the where where you could see that coming from so i think reading that gave me gave me a better um you know just an idea that 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 character did fit yeah um, i can see that yeah i mean also yeah. the art wasn't nearly as strong no no was, the art no, like, the, the art uh, was very much that early 90s brain like creative brain drain that marvel had uh, having like, because that's what it would have been right around when they lost all yeah. the other. Yeah, because they lost everybody people. to to image, and then and then in in their answer to that, of course, was to hire everybody to draw exactly like the people that they lost. You know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and and it failed miserably in most cases. Yeah, that artist. I remember when I saw the name. I thought I I don't remember seeing his name on anything else that I can think of. No, he probably did like a, an annual with uh, <laughs> what, what was what was Marvel's version of the new characters? It wasn't Blood, Bloodlines, was DCs. Oh yeah, I yeah. Just think, that, like that's, so, that, I imagine I, I I expect that if I uh, if I opened up that guy's records, there'd be one of those in there. Yeah, yeah, like the one with <laughs> Nightwatch or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it'd be a new Warriors annual. Perhaps uh, <laughs> perhaps he drew an issue of Thunderstrike. <laughs> Uh, well, I'm, I'm sure he's a, I'm sure he's a nice guy and it's uh, you know good to his kids. <laughs> no, I'm sure I'm pretty sure Ron Franz drew all of Thunderstrike, but <laughs> no, uh, no, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, what did you think of the Spider-Man one, Chris? Um, sorry, I think I read the wrong thing. So because <laughs> you're talking, oh, ty- tell us I, I read Typhoid Fever. So. Typhoid Fever. Oh, which Typhoid one was Fever. That? You read the last thing that she basically yeah. was in that crossover. Yeah, I read that I as well. That Boy, if it, she had full fire powers in this one. Yeah, and, she. The that thing starts off okay, and by the end, it's just like, oh my god, please be over. I can't. I can't <laughs> read another page of this crap. Like it just fell right apart. Which one was that one? Was that the? Uh, was that? Another one of the Marvel Comics presents? I think it was 2015 crossover, three-issue crossover, where there was a... Uh, first it was Spider-Man. Was Iron Fist, and there was a Daredevil. Oh, X-Men. Okay. No, X-Men. X-Men. No Daredevil. But there was... Yeah, it was uh, Spider-Man first, then X-Men, and then Iron Fist. And by the time it gets to Iron Fist, like, they've thrown out... And and the thing is, she also showed up for a short time in, in the Bendis run, and, and uh, like, I read... Well, I skimmed the first issue of her appearance with Bendis because I don't have time to read all his dialogue. Life is only so short. But uh, basically, I enjoyed his dialogue. But well, he likes his dialogue. But anyways, he likes his own dialogue too. Um, I, I just didn't. I couldn't get into it. But in that one, that's where she's like this. She's an actor on a soap opera and all this stuff. And it's like, oh, wow. yeah, that typhoid. The typhoid fever then tries to to wrap all this together, and then by the end he just has given up on on having the personalities <laughs> she had before, and he's just given up on the powers, and it's just throwing everything together. But 
it's, oh, no. I think it's, it's it. just junk, which is why I was kind of kind of like, Absolutely. what the hell is he talking about there for a minute? You really, you really want to see um, Anne Nascenti write Typhoid after reading that. I can't remember who that writer is, but uh, oof. yeah. <laughs> but uh, so, how about the miniseries? Um, I think that's probably the highlight. Uh, um, you know, for uh, for us in a lot of ways. I mean, I remember having this is the first time I read it since it came out in what, like ninety four or something like that, and I had great or ninety five. I had great memories of it at the time, but uh, how does it hold up? Uh, you know, twenty five years later or whatever. I think that well, and that was my problem for me was that um, it was so it felt so cutting edge back then it was just so like wow look at this i mean the art this is marvel and and it's and it felt like a vertigo miniseries in marvel and and so i just had this you know grand recollection in my head and then i started to re to read it again and i despised the the framing story so much of the like of the filmmakers like going to kidnap her because they know all about her and they're gonna and they're gonna expose her and they're gonna make a you know verite movie and and i was just like oh god every time they came they came into the issue i was just like i just don't ever want to read this book again the character's motivation that it was so weak like it just didn't make any sense to me. It just and then and then the problem is is that like the Mary stuff was interesting, but it flip flopped back and forth so much for me that I actually wound up being really confused. And then and then the art actually just felt a little more muddy than I remember. So well, I still love the art personally. I thought that was it was pretty brilliant. So at the at the yeah. end, sorry, no, I was go just ahead. gonna say at the end. Um, you know, it was it was the it's a great case of like I built this up way too much for me to actually have ever reread. The, the Night Rider rule. In, never go back to a favorite. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like and I would be better. Left Marvel at this point for several years, right? And she said after she left Marvel, when she was no longer editing, she didn't feel confident enough to submit um uh, Marvel style anymore, and she started doing full scripts, so that could explain some of it. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with you with the uh, uh, the the plot with the filmmaker is we it's odd and it doesn't it doesn't like have a feeling of fitting together. Um, like it feels like two different stories. That it, uh, it feels like something lot. that as a filmmaker she maybe like encountered mm -hmm. or. You know, or or just came Perhaps. across in some way, right? Right, what it, you know, yeah. It did a yeah. fairly good. Yeah. She did do a fairly good job of wrapping it into the other storyline by the end, but uh, and, yeah. and luckily it isn't the main storyline, but because it is, it is definitely weaker. But that almost, but the fact that she wound up wrapping it in, in I guess, almost annoyed me because it felt too convenient at that point. I mean, it's interesting what you say about the art. I think that. Um, like switching to digital, there's a lot of stuff from um, from especially the 80s when the you know that uh, uh, that once it's cleaned up and it's on like the pure white um, you know back instead of the like whatever paper stock mm -hmm. it was on um, like these things were colored to 
like to be on a certain paper stock. And this this was on like a gloss, which of course there is no gloss anymore, like from the like when it's on digital. So I mean you're you're losing some of what this was supposed to look like or did look like, I should say. Yeah. Um in its original form. Like I find that reading uh reading John Byrne stuff because that stuff was like John Byrne Fantastic Four was done for um newsprint. Yeah. And like and and that stuff like just it just looks like a cartoon, the coloring of it when you see it digitally, because uh, it's all these like egg, there was no tonals done at that point. Um, I mean, uh, this stuff's recolored for digital, but I mean, it's not going to look the same as as it did on that page. No, for sure. And and it was like I do remember enjoying it back in the day, but I think you lose a lot of the a lot of the extra contrast that yeah. the glossy paper offers you. Yeah. Uh, this was uh, this was Marvel Edge, which which was kind of their it was their response to to Vertigo because this is about the time that Vertigo was really had uh, had they had launched. How it long as, had as Edge been around at this point? Was it about no, a year? It, it, Edge was they were sorting everything into lines. Yeah, wasn't Edge just Hulk, uh, Daredevil, and the Punisher? No, that was a different one. I think. Oh, okay. I think so, yeah. Because uh, the only other thing I remember that was Edge was uh, Scroll Kill Crew. Oh yeah, that's right. Which which it was a mature re- it's a mature readers line. Yeah, um, like <laughs> that was, was so much it was fun. labeled as mature. It was labeled as mature, um, which you know very few Marvel stuff ever was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it was like it was in continuity mature reader stuff, which was yeah like almost unheard of. Maybe I should avoid reading uh, Scroll Kill Crew again too. <laughs> I, 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 I was I gonna say, yeah, I you know, it might not hold up as well as you, as you think. That's all I'll say on that. But you know, who knows? Maybe it is a future episode. We don't know what a future. We only know what next episode is. Um, any other thoughts on the Typhoid Mary miniseries, or kind of closing thoughts on this uh, this topic? I, I think for me, like, it's a great character. Like, I really like the character. I do think that that the Bloody Mary character is probably unnecessary in the grand scheme of things. I mean, just the typhoid and the, and the regular Mary character. Well, and, and then of course, when you added the fact in the miniseries, you added the Walker character as well. So you wound up basically with four and, uh, and that was, that was a lot to keep track of. I just, I like it. I love that Anacenti always had, had an idea, always wanted to try to grow the character. It probably doesn't hold up as much as I was hoping for, but I think a lot of that is actually just the limitations of the era or the differentiation of the era more so than I'm used to reading right now. Uh, I yeah, great era. <laughs> the I mean, the, the art of typhoid is what it's it's interesting that uh, with one writer, I the the thing I take away is the art. Um, the uh i mean the typhoid series it had art that i had never seen in a marvel comic yeah for sure um uh, and uh like that's really what i remember of that run and then um how how could i forget that Ramita junior had also done starbrand prior to the mm-hmm. Daredevil run uh <laughs> didn't that that didn't immediately jump to mind it's embarrassing um <laughs> so i mean that's it was uh and anything different stood out for me at that age that uh, like the, I was raised on that uh, Perez, Byrne, Neil Adams, like more realistic 
um, non-representative uh, art. And then, you know, when people like Romita Jr. and McFarlane and all these guys came around, like around the same time, um, and didn't do that, uh, it was quite it was quite memorable and like quite uh, it definitely uh, left an imprint on me. <laughs> so, anything left to say, Chris? Any any final thoughts? Um, no, she really screwed up uh, Bushwhacker, but you know, he started <laughs> oh, to write anyway. I'm uh, I'm going to say that Chris was correct that uh, they did label several of the ongoing series as Edge as well. Uh, I looked it up here. Ooh, uh, they, okay. Edge Edge as an imprint lasted. Uh, what's my math there? Seven months. Yeah, so, uh, so those weren't all mature reader though, were they? <laughs> no, they weren't. No, uh, okay. there was. So a, I thought it was somehow. I was getting confused because they had Midnight Suns. I thought yeah. that's what I was thinking. No, that was totally different. Yeah, different. totally different. Yeah. Uh, they they did uh, so. Daredevil, Doctor Strange, Ghost Rider, Hulk, and Punisher were labeled as Edge, uh, and they did. Uh, there's five miniseries, including Typhoid and Skrull Kill Crew, Doc Sampson. Uh, Spider-Man oh. Punisher family plot and uh, uh, Over the Edge, which I think was an anthology. Because that Typhoid series, mm. I think now if you look it up in uh, uh, on Comicsology or anything, it, it was listed as Marvel Edge or sorry, uh, Marvel Max. Mm. Yeah, well, I think this and Skull Kill Crew would have been the only. Wouldn't this yeah. and Skull Kill Crew be the only mature readers then? Yeah, I think the, the docs. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and even and Skull Crow Crew so. might not be because that is on comics or on Marvel Unlimited, where they do have a little bit of stuff that's max, but not very much. Uh, it was not labeled as mature, no. No, okay. So All right, interesting. So if nothing else, it's inventive for it's or yeah. it's it's groundbreaking for that. It absolutely is. Um, so I mean, and yes. well, and and I think well worth it in that regard. Like I, I bet you that if I went back to it in two three years, I would probably like it more again. It, it's really, it's really just like adjusting expectations after, you know, thinking so highly <laughs> of it before. Yeah, so you, you you brought yourself down. Yes. So the next time you're like, ah, you know, I read the, I read this and I didn't like it that much, and then yeah, it's gonna, you're gonna like, oh, that was way better than I remember. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> every five years. That'll be the baseline reading of of the. Uh... <laughs> Speaking of going up and down, we'll be back in a month's time, um, as we say, and unless we find an interview that we end up doing before then. Uh, I had a lot of fun doing this, guys. This was a lot of fun just to get back and talk some comics, and I love it. Um, next month, we're, uh, we are got a different, completely different topic, obviously. Uh, Brett, this is kind of your idea, so why don't you explain it? Well... You know, what was it that brought it up? Uh, so so Mac Boland came up in some way in our conversation, and I just, I remember the, I remember the series that came out, um, and what was the publishing company on that one again, Keith? Uh, Innovation. Innovation, Innovation. that's right. Yeah, I wanted, I wanted to say execution. first, but, but it was like, no, it's not first. <laughs> so, so yeah, Innovation, and I just remember the Innovation run, and just thinking that, that how much, I enjoyed reading it at the time, the the issues that there were, and then you know, of course, there's the IDW run, and and I know especially Keith and I are big fans of Mac Bolan in the first place, and those original novels. So it was just kind of like, hey, you know, let's let's talk some Mac Bolan. 
Well, and in talking some Mac Bolin, I think, like I say, Mac Bolin executioner is pretty hard if we're going to look at that comic book and talk that character to not contrast it with uh, compare and contrast with the the Punisher character. So we're also going to look at the Punisher original miniseries um, and compare that because uh, there's uh, quite a bit of similarities in his origin. Well, yeah, that's that's right. Because you had said in the conversation that uh, that like, oh, I read Mac Bolan. I mean, there's the we can read the Punisher, and and I think it it, it comes down to that whole idea. I mean, what was yeah. what was kind of funny was that you said I might as well read the Punisher, but then you said you never liked any Punisher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't think I said that, did I? <laughs> I believe that was me. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, well, you'll go back. I, 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 mean, I remember be, uh, reading the, the we'll, miniseries we'll just a few years ago, so I, I think uh, I don't remember details on it, but I, I do think I enjoyed it at the time. But, I mean, uh, Matt Punisher for me will always be a cheap man's executioner. Well, yeah. I, I just, <laughs> you know, I mean, Don Pendleton's character was first, so. And, and 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 I mean obviously we'll get into this, but I mean there's just so much backstory to to Mac Bolan, and I think that that I don't know did the Punisher have the same backstory? I guess we'll answer that in a month. Did uh, yes. am I the only one that prepared for this episode by contrasting with Sybil? <laughs> yes, yes, I'm afraid you so. might be. You might be. That was only she had what eight characters? There's eight eight personalities in her head, yes. Sybil. I- yeah, so twice what Mary has, but without the telekinesis. Dude, give give Anne Nesenti another ten years. We'll have another four <laughs> in the Typhoon Mary, I'm sure. Uh, well, either way, this was good times. Uh, do we have any business to do? Uh, well, I, I would like, uh, you know, if, if you're listening to this, uh, <laughs> you know, good for you. Uh, you subscribed to our podcast uh, four years ago and have never unsubscribed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you know, God bless you. Our kind uh, of people. And, uh, <laughs> I am I am not on Twitter, so don't uh, try to find me there. Uh, well, you can try, I guess, but uh, if if you're hearing this, uh, <laughs> drop us an email. Uh, uh, Keith at WeTalkPodcast still uh, works. WeTalkPodcast.com. Yeah, yeah. Uh, visit us at WeTalkPodcast. You can leave a comment on the WeTalkPodcast yeah. website. Leave was, a comment, uh, but. The other thing to do is, if you enjoy this episode, if you like listening to the four of us talk, uh, there's some other characters that, that do another show. It's uh, called Cult Film Showdown, Enter the Octagon, and it's the search for the ultimate B-movie. And uh, it's not the four of us, but boy, it sure sounds the exact same. But it's four people with completely different names, which means it can't possibly be us, right, guys? It was hard for us to find sound-alikes for all four yeah. of us, uh, but, uh, you know, Fiverr. I hate that show. <laughs> That's just because they haven't done enough Red Brown yet. It's yeah, maybe. <laughs> I, I liked it when they did the Captain America. That was that was good. So you but. can you can go and if you like this show, support that show on Patreon. We got to uh, yeah, pl- plug our shit. Uh, you know, uh, you can uh, you can support the back podcast on uh, Patreon. Uh, you can subscribe to this show, and there may have, there may be another episode. That's right. Uh, <laughs> it was fun, so let's do it again. We got a couple of months. We got a couple of months to prepare for a tenth anniversary episode. Uh, I've I had suggested that we uh, uh, that we read the final issue of all the new Fifty Two issue uh, uh, series because uh, we kicked this off with uh, this series off ten years ago with the uh, first issue of all the new Fifty Two. 
Those, that sounds, was good that times. That sounded like a lot of reading, and then I started thinking about how quick I could read those, and I'm like, that's not that bad. It'll be faster <laughs> than reading this. I just <laughs> love the fact that when we stuff. when we did that, that that it was all like you know that knowing that we wouldn't have enough time to each contribute something it was just like that one or two lines from that issue that we each, <laughs> got, 15, we each got 15 seconds so that we each <laughs> book it was 52 books in 52 minutes we each got 15 seconds to add up to a minute yes and, and, and somehow I, brett you would come in and still manage to come in at four or five seconds consistently it was amazing no, well, because because I feel like half of mine were were just were just like another Robin issue. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I think that was like that was it. Speed <laughs> dating for comics. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, uh, good so times. there you go. Going to the archives, listen to that, or listen to some of our interviews. There was tons of people, tons of big names from the industry of we of being uh, willing to be fooled enough to be guests on this show. <laughs> And uh, that's about it. O-U-T, anything else, boys? Yeah. Uh, Kyle and Alice Dinosaur by me is on uh, Comixology. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. Buy that. Buy that. What were they again? One more time. Kyle the Nihilist Dinosaur and uh, Misha. Misha. M-I-S-H-A. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, not Nile the Kyle's Dinosaur. That That's totally wrong. It'll Written it by one and only Keith Callback. Yeah. All right. Bye, boys. Good night. <laughs>